Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of October 6th, the, the first week of October. And as uh, the weather cools off a little bit and the schedule winds down, it actually seems to be getting somewhat busier in the uh, dirt late model racing world uh, with uh, a busy weekend, coming off a busy weekend with both the Lucas Oil Series and the World Outlaws in action and some regional stuff. And then going into a really big weekend uh, with some flow rate, pastoral flow racing events and, of course, the uh, Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series uh, triple header coming up. So we got a lot to talk about here on the podcast. Myself, Joshua Joyner, DirtOnDirt.com staff writer, and the rest of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff joining me as always. Uh, Kevin, you were at uh, Pittsburgh this weekend, I believe, Saturday night, at what turned out to be quite an interesting race and an interesting night there uh, at, at for the Lucas Oil Series. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, afterwards, kind of didn't really even realize what was going on. I think we'll get into this a little bit more with uh, yeah. with the situation um, of the lucky dog and, and uh, Hudson O'Neill getting that and making a pit stop and then coming back to win. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it was a it, it was there wasn't a lot of action in the race. I mean, uh, otherwise, uh, Earl Pearson Jr. really had it under control for most of the distance. But uh, it, it, it was, it was a good night. It was nice and it was a nice, uh, really a nice, perfect fall night. You couldn't ask for, I've, I've gotten, I've been cold there for the Pittsburgher before and it was 75 during the day and went to about 60 at night. Perfect. It was really one of those nice, uh, uh, fall nights that you like, you know, not too hot, not too cold. There you go. And it's uh, always one of the nice things about this time of the year is you get to go after long, hot summer days at the track, you get to go and uh, enjoy some, some nicer weather. Uh, during the fall and the and the big events. And uh, speaking of uh, uh, the Pittsburgher, uh, I know uh, Todd, Todd Turner, our managing editor, who uh, kind of likes the, the throwback, the old school uh, storylines, was probably getting excited watching EPJ uh, and his resurgence almost come to uh, full circle there at the Pittsburgher. Um, uh, where you, where, you know, I know we don't like to play favorites here, Todd, but were you a little disappointed? Um, you know, he couldn't win one for the, uh, the old guy or older guys, I should say. Earl and I take offense at this, uh, at this uh, line of questioning. No, it, hey, 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 me it, too. Uh, he's only one year older than me, Todd, you know, let's not get crazy. He's 49, you know, somebody called him actually after the race, somebody said like, oh yeah, I was rooting for the over 50 guys when I was talking to Earl and Earl's like, wait a minute, I'm not 50, you know, not yet. Old school is what I mean. He's, he's old That's school right. because he's been around so long. Not yeah, I'll take, old I'll take that old school. Yeah, old school is good. Good for good for Earl. Yeah, it's fun watching him uh, get going again with Jason Papage's car. Right, and uh, another fan of the old school uh, style racing and drivers. Uh, our weekend editor Robert Holman. Robert, you, uh, did you did you get in on it? Get to watch some of that and uh, uh, some of the weekend stuff going on this past weekend. I didn't get to uh, to see any of that race actually. I just kind of uh, read all of Kevin's uh, stories, which were uh, enlightening, and uh, kind of kept track with everything else uh, through the race wire and stuff. Uh, I kind of watched it rain a lot here from from my perspective here in, in Middle Tennessee. I was planning on maybe trying to sneak over to Duck River uh, and getting a few laps in with our crate car. And uh, that was a wash, literally. And so, uh, so I just kind of hung out here at the house and, and kept track of things online. Yeah, definitely uh, had some some rainouts, unfortunately, this this past weekend. Uh, hate to see that, but the story uh, I would say the story of the weekend uh, most to most people is uh, the, the what I feel like should be is the comeback uh, uh, Hudson O'Neill had from a lap down. Use the lucky dog, uh, which is a thing in uh, for the Lucas Oil Series. Some people may not have known that until Saturday, but uh, to get his lap back midway through the race, uh, and then came back to to win the race uh, there, the twenty thousand dollar win uh, on the Lucas Oil Series. Um, we'll talk about some of the other races that went on, um, but I feel like that's kind of where I want to dive in. And I, as Robert mentioned, Kevin had a really good story on the website, kind of explaining what happened because there was some controversy over whether O'Neill should have had his lap back or not. Um, and kind of, like I said, Kevin, I feel like you did a really good job of diving into that and kind of breaking it down and explaining how that all worked out. Um, and just, I don't want to go too much into detail and all that, but kind of explain how that worked out, where the controversy was, or if there was any, um, you know, and how the drivers you know, took that, kind of explain that, uh, how that all worked out for us. It was kind of a weird situation. Uh, I mean, like you, you talk about the lucky dog, I think it's been about five years. The outlaw started it and it's been about five years with Lucas, I believe. 
And you don't really – a lot of times it just happens, you know, like somebody get the, – the guy at the back of the, the, the first guy, a lap down when a caution comes out, gets his lap back. And you don't even real. I mean, that person usually doesn't come back even into contention. They may they, they may get a top ten out of it or something, uh, but you don't really. It's not a big issue in a normal race. But this one, it became one just because of kind of like the, uh, the 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 how the circumstances played out. Uh, there was going to be a fuel stop in the race, so at lap fifty. Uh, if they, if there wasn't a caution between, you know, 30 and 50, sort of like it is with uh, the Knoxville nationals, they were going to, uh, st- make sure they were stopping at lap 50 and that's what happened. So, uh, when they get to lap 50, uh, at that point, there'd been a long green and man, Earl Pearson jr. Was lapping guys like crazy, you know, I mean, he was just tearing through the field. And, and I remember at, on lap 50, as, as, uh, Pearson came across to complete lap 50, I was standing inside of turn one watching kind of where the hot pit was. And, and I wrote down on my notepad, Earl about to lap uh, Ricky Thornton Jr. And he had already lapped Hudson O'Neill several laps earlier. So Hudson was a lap down. At that point, the first guy lapped down. And then Pearson passes R- Ricky Thornton Jr. through turns one and two after he completed lap 50. But the caution does not come out immediately because the officials wanted to let everybody go around and, and go around to the back because could have been somebody, you know, battling for position. So they wanted to let that play out since it wasn't a, a caution that was coming out because of something on the racetrack. Uh, and the problem with only problem with that that made it confusing for everyone was that Pearson passes Thornton, who was still on the lead lap because he cannot be lapped after lap 50. It kind of scoring would freeze at lap 50 and they're going to go around. And when they get back, the first guy back to lap would have been 51 was when they throw the yellow out uh, was Earl Pearson and Thornton was behind him. So like if you look at the actual like the the my race pass scoring uh, more than just the raw scoring of every, how they come across that they have up in the tower, it appears that Ricky Thornton would be the first guy a lap down and, and Hudson would be the second. So when they restarted the race and both of them were on the lead lap again, it seemed like they had let two guys get the lucky dog. And, and that was – and going back and looking after the race, there were people kind of uh, complaining about it a little bit. Like, how did that happen? How Why did they let two cars back in the lead lap? But they didn't because Horton, Thornton was already on the lead lap. Uh, again, it was just such a long timing there, and he was behind Pearson when they – actually put the yellow out uh, after everybody completed the 50. And I, feel like, I feel like the odds of that happening the way it did like are got to be so slim that, that there's a good chance that never happens <laughs> again that way to be so um, obviously for him to come back. But, but I, I was going to ask right, you. Exactly, what was, right, exactly. Yeah. It probably wouldn't happen again because there's rarely a guy that's so far behind. And, and, it, yeah. and it wouldn't have even been an issue actually – if they would have done the leader plus three, like a lot of times, so like like Rick Schwally from the Luke Swiss, he said they can count the lap if it's the leader and three more cars pass. And he could have done that. He could have just let three cars throw the yellow, make the fuel stop. Uh, but they they wanted to let every, the, the lap play out because, again, nothing was on the racetrack to stop any safety issue. So they did. But that one driver was all got passed by Pearson uh, out during that. So it kind of threw it into a little confusion. And then there was also people that were confused about when that they were like, Oh, you can't pit. You can't cause a yellow. You can't pit after you get the lucky dog. But that was four laps later. Uh, Hudson restarted the race on the back of the lead lap. And then four laps later, he pulls uh, up uh, and causes a caution to come in and, and, and fix and change a shock to make an adjustment. And, and at that point, I mean, it's, you can could debate about like, Hey, should I be allowed to pull a caution like that? I mean, that's been a debate for a long, long time, but, uh, Hudson, he, he couldn't change a flat. He couldn't change a tire at that point unless he had a flat. So he didn't change a tire. He just made an adjustment to the car and, and that's allowed. And then he was able to come back from the rear because he found a little bit on the inside, way down on the inside, a mud ring and, 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 you know, pass. And there wasn't a lot of cars left either. It only had to go from like 13, 14 cars at that point. So it wasn't like he had 24 to pass either. That's uh, it's still pretty impressive. Uh, for O'Neill to, to, I mean, you know, obviously had some things go his way, and I, if some people may saw it, call it controversial. I don't know with the uh, the pit stop there, uh, but he's still uh, quite a performance to make that run 
Uh, Todd, I think you had something you wanted to to say about uh about the, that race there. Yeah, I mean, one thing is Hudson was coming pretty good there in the first half of the race. He started 17th and he was up to seventh, and then kind of faded a little bit before he got lapped there before halfway. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think we're debating here. Oh, was this controversial? Was this not? And and I, I think it's it's the combination of those three things. Uh, and for me, three things that I'm not a big fan of necessarily. Fuel stops, for one. You know, that kind of played part of it. Uh, the lucky dog thing. And then being able to stop on the track just just for no reason. And I appreciate the Lucas Oil Series having a rule where you can't change your tire um, if you do that. Uh, that that's that's That goes a ways towards solving that. Uh, but, you know, Hudson himself said, and again, this is not anything against Hudson, he's pl he's playing within the rules. Uh, but they talked about it at the halfway fuel stop. He said, hey, if, if things aren't going well, let's let's get let's go in and we'll change make this shock change. So he goes goes out there for four or five more laps and, and decides to make that move. And you're allowed just to stop the race because of that. that it's kind of unsavory at best. And I and I agree, Kevin. We've talked, you know, that's been a thing forever. Uh, but when it so clearly plays into given a chance a guy to win a race that in all likelihood he wouldn't have won without that, you know, I'm sure, you know, the other guys, it's just kind of like, eh, it's just not, it, it's just not, it doesn't feel very clean. Um, I don't know. And, and again, these are three, three turns of events all kind of wound in together here in over a five lap period that was just kind of a kind of quirky in a way. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's the thing about it. It's just, it's just not, it's not straightforward. You know, when, when Kevin has to write a story about why the guy won and how he won, you know, besides the race story, it's, it's kind of odd, you know? Yeah. It was, right. it was kind of weird when I had to, like, I, I was sitting there at the trailer after the race, uh, the Lucas Oil series trailer and Rick Schwally had, a, had the scoring computer out and was going through it and, and, and showing this is how they came across the line each lap that was scored and and, and I saw it right that's exactly what played out I mean there there was no question about that and he showed anybody who wanted to uh, see it he he, he had him come in the trail he showed Earl Pearson Jr. it uh, to to prove it to him and um, I mean there was but it's it just kind of funny with racers and everything there's always some like Rick even said it like, man, they come up with something that you never even really thought about too. You know, like there were some, somebody came up to him and says like, well, he can't get his luck. He can't get the lucky dog on a fuel stop caution. Why was he allowed that? That was a planned caution, you know? And, and, and Rick's like, well, I mean, we don't have a rule about that. Like if it's a fuel stop, you can't get a luck. We're going to give a lucky dog at the fuel stop. Cause it was a caution that come out. And it was the same thing. He kind of mentioned too, that, I think it was lap 79 caution. It wasn't a normal caution. They threw a caution because the door, the, the gate had come open a little bit on the racetrack on the wall and they had to throw a caution for that. I mean, you don't want somebody catching that and ripping their car apart. So, I mean, do you say, like, Oh, well, that's an unusual caution. Well, we're not going to give a lucky dog because of that. So it, it was like, there was just all these little weird things going on there. And, and, and people just coming up with like, well, this guy said this and this guy thought this guy has a screenshot of the scoring on lap 50 and it shows him with only 49. You know, it was all these weird things. And, you know, and, and but I think uh, Rick Schwally did a good job explaining it by, by pulling out that. And he was ready for it. As soon as the race was over, he's talking to Earl Pierce. And then he also uh, was ready at the trailer to show anybody. So I think they handled it well. And uh, but, it, you know, it's a headache when that happens. But, hey, it. it, it it, it's uh, man, something to talk about, I guess we had, because other than that, there wasn't too much, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the race happening. I, I will agree. I, I love that Schwally is like on top of that. And like, you know, so often and not, not as much with the national tours, but so often with series, there's like something that's a little, you know, seems a little shady or seems a little strange or whatever. And they run from it and don't talk about it or just act like it didn't happen. I mean, that Rick gets out there and like explain, you know, explains it to you, a reporter there and explains it to all the drivers. I, I give big credit to that because I think that's something in this sport that is so off. This sport is so full of like people. Oh, somebody got disqualified two weeks ago. Oh, but we're not going to tell anybody. We're not allowed to say <laughs> the name. I mean, ridiculous. I mean, so Swally. Trolley is doing the right thing there. And that is, and that, that diffused this, right? 
If we yes, don't, if he doesn't come forward with this, we definitely are talking about this more, much more controversial. Yeah, I was in the back pit area because I most almost everybody parked outside the racetrack uh, for for this race now because because of their problems getting their haulers across the lip of the track and, and turn three to go in the infield. So there was only I mean the Lucas trailer and and four or five super late miles were parked in the infield. So I immediately after the race I went right out to the outside because that's where everybody was. I didn't want to miss them before they leave and figured the the guys from Victory Lane would be over there in a little bit. So. I'm walking around and Todd actually kind of filled me in about what was going on. I didn't really know that they were you know, like there was a discussion in victory lane or anything. Then, but when I started walking around to the pits, then other people started coming to me and saying, Oh man, what are they doing with the scoring? What's happening? You know? And, and it was, I could see each one I went to, it was like, well, I got this text from this guy and he was saying that, you know, and it, it, you could see it building and it was building too, because at that point, Lucas oil officials are all in the infield not it just becomes gets to fester when they're everybody's out there they couldn't diffuse it like todd said and then once i went in the infield and, and kind of heard exactly what it was i mean uh and, and then could relay that to other people i think they it definitely diffused it That's a, that was a good call todd yeah it's what's what's interesting about that whole thing is i i tuned in somewhere i guess around lap 60 i was at sonoya um uh, the World Outlaws race there, and I pulled it up on Mav TV on my phone and watched till about, uh, I guess about lap 80, and then I got busy and wasn't able to watch it, and then later went back and saw that O'Neill had won, and it I didn't know any, I didn't know he had won a lap down. I didn't know I didn't know any of this controversy had all happened and do had stuff stuff I had going on. I didn't even realize it until I saw your story, uh, Kevin, um, on Sunday about what what had happened. So it's kind of crazy that I missed all that controversy and all and really all that all the action um, of his his comeback there, but it was. Uh, Still a quite an interesting turn of events, and again, kudos to the Lucas Oil Bunch and Rick Swally and them for for being on top of that and and uh, uh, getting that kind of calmed down and explaining very transparently what had actually uh, happened. I think that definitely helped the situation. But uh, that was, as we said, part of a really busy weekend uh, for both national tours. The uh, Lucas Oil Series before Pittsburgh was uh, in Ohio, there where Tim McCready. I mean, I, I, I assume so. He doesn't have the series, the points clinched just yet but i believe uh todd and maybe you've you know looked at this a little close more closely or kevin one of you guys can uh fill me in and he's pretty close to wrapping it up because he's yeah kevin you know where he's at on that yeah looking at it, it's a 400 uh point lead there he has so there are four races to go i mean basically the only he it's not completely clinched but I think I figured it out. Like if he averaged 13th place, around 13th place in the last three races, four races, he can't be beat. Uh, and geez, he hasn't finished worse than 12th in you know, in, in a, you know, in <laughs> pretty much a whole summer. And uh, the only way he would really lose it is, is Hudson would basically have to win all four races, get the bonus points for fast times. And also too, cause you get 10 bonus points for a fast time in your group. And, and also uh, have McCready finish like 21st or worse. That'd be the le- least you get 75 points for, for those p- positions. And, and so that would be, and you figure that out. That's uh you know, that's about 500 points or something like that, a, a difference. But I mean, McCready would have to finish basically not finish, four nights in a row and, 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 uh, and the Hudson win all four. So it's pretty yeah. unlikely. Yep. And, uh, and then on the, on the other, on the outlaw side of things, uh, Brandon Shepard did wrap up his fourth, uh, world outlaws title with his, uh, I believe he was second on Friday night at Cherokee Speedway. He finished second there, uh, to Brandon Overton, uh, in the first of the, the week, two weekend races for the outlaws. And then the series moved over to, uh, Sonoya Raceway on Saturday where Ashton Winger uh, was pretty impressive at his home track and held off Chris Madden, late challenge from Chris Madden uh, to uh, get his third Outlaws victory uh, there at his home track in, uh, in a good show at, at Sonoya. Uh, a couple things I'll mention from the weekend. Uh, Brandon Overton wins the Outlaws race on Friday and then elects to skip Saturday's Outlaws race and instead go to uh, 411 Motor Speedway in Tennessee where he won a uh, $5,000 unsanctioned race and uh from what i was able to gather that was because he was part of a wedding uh with a former crew member and had that planned it was why he went there instead of the outlaws race uh is what i was uh was told so uh i did wonder when i saw that but that i guess makes sense because that's where the outlaws race was originally supposed to be until just a few weeks ago uh and then also another thing to tell me chris madden 
Um, he had that terrible weekend in Texas where he basically destroyed two two race cars a couple weeks ago. Uh, comes back with a couple of solid finishes in a, in a new car that was basically put together um, over the past couple of weeks since his Texas trip. And they, they've used that new car at New Rocket with uh, a fifth-place finish at Cherokee and then uh, second at Sonoya. So uh, there's a couple of things from the weekend. Um, one thing we I wanted to kind of touch on as we were we talked a lot about the, uh, the, the circumstances around uh, the Pittsburgher, and I feel like, unfortunately, because of the little bit of controversy or, you know, the stuff we talked about, it kind of overshadowed Hudson O'Neill's comeback, and which really is perhaps one of the, I don't say greatest comebacks ever. I mean, we can discuss that, but it's certainly a worth, like, that should be remembered, and, and he should be, you know, that, that should have been the storyline to me. Um, and it was some, but it was, like I said, a little bit overshadowed. And it got me thinking, though, uh, you know, kind of where we might com compare this to some other comebacks uh, that we've seen throughout our years covering the sport. Um, so I figured we'd all go around and maybe mention our uh, uh, the one that stands out to us the most, the the, the comeback we've witnessed or or, or seen. Um, I was going to go ahead and because I know this is one a lot of people will probably think of um, as soon as we start thinking about these these comebacks uh, is Scott, of course, Scott Bloomquist after at the uh, I believe it was the was it 2014 World 100 I think it was um, after leaving the race gets penalized for a window net, an unapproved uh, window net in his car had some, I think some light sand or something in the holes that they, they, the series officials felt like was probably catching air, um, adding some uh, aerodynamic advantage. So he's leading the race and on lap 20 is penalized to the rear, rear of the field, has to pit to you know, remove the window net and go to the rear, rear of the field. And of course, from there, uh, just this epic comeback makes it back to the lead. But I think I was looking at my notes because uh, I, I covered that race uh, by lap 72. I believe it was takes the lead from Dale McDowell and goes on to really just dominate the uh, the, the last you know 25 laps of the race there um, and really if you hadn't if like I said if you just skipped that middle portion you thought he just cruised and missed all the the action with it um, but yes that was probably one I think everyone will remember um, you know would would note as a great comeback and maybe probably just because of the circumstances probably one of the best comebacks ever um, so I wanted to go ahead and get that one out of the way. Uh, and then maybe let's go ahead and, and talk about some others. So, uh, Kevin, I know uh, your years on that World of Outlaws, there's got to be some that on the Outlaw series that, that stands out to you. Is there, are there any uh, most memorable you can think of? Well, the most memorable was the one that sticks out immediately was uh, kind of go back uh, to July 30th, 2010 at Attica Raceway Park in Ohio. And it was a uh, Rick Ecker, he, he won that night. This was back when uh, he was already, you know, back with his own team at that point. And, uh, and after Ray Vest passed away, his own longtime owner. And it's the night started off, he blew the motor in time trials. And at that point, he basically was almost ready to pack it in. He, he literally was thinking, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with the tour for the year. We just can't do it. Uh, but he was like, all right, well, let's just bring the backup car out and see what happens. And he ends up qualifying, uh, through a B main starts 18th. Uh, he misses like a massive, I remember Chubb Frank rolled in this wreck. I'm like, oh, half the field was involved in the wreck midway through the race. He misses the wreck, thinks like, all right, my luck is back on track here. I'm going to pick up a lot of spots. But then during the red flag, his crew sees a huge puddle of water under the track, under the. Uh, under his car, he, he realizes that there's a hole in the radiator. So any positions they were gaining were going to be gone because they had to go into the pits. And uh, during the when the yellow came back out and and they were able to do this because there was still some cleanup when the yellow came out. They changed the radiator. Eckert gets back on the track, comes all the way around. He's running sixth with like 15 to go. Uh, still keeps coming, ends up passing Josh Richards with uh, with uh, three laps to go. Uh, to take the lead. And, and I mean, and, and I remember this clearly too. He, they, the fans there gave him a standing ovation in victory lane. I, I don't really, I haven't seen that too often. I remember a few instances where there was a standing ovation for a, a you know, world of outlaw winner that I saw. I remember Dan stone had happened to, and he won at tri city, uh, you know, back in 2007 in Pennsylvania, tri city. And, uh, and Eckert did get this and man, I mean, it was a great comeback. I mean, he's just like, he went from thinking he's off the tour to end up winning the race uh, after making another comeback during the race. So that was pretty cool. And then and the only other one I would have mentioned really quick, uh, I didn't see this. I wasn't uh, doing the outlaw uh, uh, tour at that point, but on June 5th, 2005, Tim McCready blew a motor in a dash that they used to have with the outlaws. This was at uh, state, uh, Dakota state fair speedway in Huron, South Dakota. Uh, he goes to a backup car, starts last dead last, 
wins the race that night. He took the lead from, uh, I think, Daryl Lannigan, passed Ecker and Daryl Lannigan over after a restart, three to go. Took the lead, won the race, and uh, and it was the only time in outlaw history that a guy started dead last and won. So that uh, kind of stands out. Pretty impressive. What year did you say the, uh, the Eckert comeback was? That was in 2010. 2010. Okay. I was wondering because I'm having, I was having trouble. I don't know if I remembered that one. So it was an interesting, interesting. <laughs> I know Eckert brings it up. Actually, he just brought it up a few <laughs> weeks ago, like one of those most memorable races. So it definitely I'm sticks sure. out in his mind. There you go. Uh, what about you, Todd? What do you have uh, as far as uh, memories of, of comebacks and in, in races? Well, I don't know. My, this is my favorite story. I've actually told it multiple times. So bear with me, you uh, uh, listeners to Dirt on Dirt pod- podcast. But the 97 Summer Nationals at Macon. Uh, and this is Shannon Babb. Before before he's Shannon Babb, we know now. He was still kind of a up-and-coming guy. Uh, but he was pretty good in the Summer Nationals race, the Herald Review 100. Um, starting, you know, has a good chance to win in his own car. But as the race is beginning, he breaks and i can't remember something more than a flat tire like he rolls to the infield and just kind of dejectedly dejectedly climbs from his car and they're kind of resetting the field and getting ready to go and all of a sudden uh one of the back markers um a guy named virgil bilbury uh driving and and i i don't i think this is the part of the story that you need to understand the most this is this is a junker rolling to the infield. This is not, you know, uh, Brandon Shepard's car or or Billy Drake's car, or some other top runner coming to the infield. This is a guy who is going to be lapped down at the finish. And he, you see him pull into the infield next to Shannon. And and obviously I can't hear this, but I'm watching from the backstretch. And you can tell Virgil's like, hey, get in my car and race. So sure enough, there's a little. A little pause. I don't think they necessarily wait for him. Something happened that caused that caused a little bit of delay. So Shannon has enough time to climb in the car and start on the tail in this in this uh, in Virgil Bilbrey's car. So the race starts and it goes on and and here comes Shannon from the back driving this car and it doesn't. He, you could tell he kind of learned how to drive it as the race went. He kind of got better and better. And sure enough, toward the very end, he gets all the way to the front and takes the lead and wins this race. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Now, the making crowd's a good crowd. They will, they'll hoot and boo and yell and holler at anything. They were, the people were going bananas. Well, of course, Shannon goes to the infield. And, and it's funny, Shannon says this when I talked to him later, or I interviewed him that night. As he's rolling to the scales, he kind of looks over Virgil, who's very excited, of course, that his car won. And he realizes, oh, my goodness, Virgil, he weighs a little bit more than me. <laughs> Virgil weighed probably about 240. Bab probably, you know, soaking wet, 160 back then. And um, uh, so Shannon goes to the scales and, of course, ends up being not even close light at the scales. They <laughs> weighed him a couple of times. So he loses loses this comeback. So it's not officially a great comeback victory because he didn't win. But uh, uh, Ed Bauman won the race in the most, you know, the worst circumstances you can win. It's like, you know, he felt so, you know, I mean, he won. What are you going to say? But uh, but he uh but clearly Shannon was the star of the night and it was, uh, it was really an amazing, an amazing night. And I'll never forget. It's one of those summer nationals nights. And you go, you guys know this being on the summer nationals or when you get to the next track, the next day, everyone is still buzzing about the night before. And it was just, it was just one of those special nights. And, uh, uh, of course, Shannon's gone on to great successes since then, but uh, but that's uh, <laughs> that's definitely my favorite Shannon Babb story and uh, and the best comeback uh, in, in a in a car that that didn't that wasn't expected to make a comeback. The best I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, they say don't call it a comeback. I guess you can't really call that one a comeback because it didn't count. But still impressive nonetheless, and we'll, we'll count it as a, a comeback for our purposes here today. And speaking of comebacks, I'm going to have Robert Holman come back to the show. I don't think Robert. <laughs> sorry about this, Robert. But I don't think we've had you speak for probably uh, 20, 25 minutes now um, since the beginning of the show. But uh, I think you have a, a pretty uh, 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 interesting um, and. Uh, uh, compelling uh, store comeback story to share for us uh, uh, now that you come back to us. 
Yeah, hold on. I'd gone out for a sandwich. I need to let me finish that up. And I'll, I'll be back. They just wouldn't stop talking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, you know, I, I've talked about this one comeback before, and it's it's the one that I've covered is is really the best comeback that I've ever eyewitnessed is Rodney Wing in 2001 at Pike County rallying. He started 15th was coming to the front and broke a ball joint right as right as a crash happened and a red flag came out and he goes in and changes the the whole upper control arm and stuff during that red flag restarts 19th comes back and passes uh David Ashley on the white flag lap to win the race that's to me that's the the most remarkable comeback that I've ever witnessed um but uh but I'd always heard this story about Ronnie Johnson, Hall of Famer from Chattanooga, rallying from two laps down to win a race in Florida during speed weeks. And I and I, I'm like, that's just impossible. You don't come, you don't make up two laps in a race and and, and win it in dirt late model racing. It just doesn't happen. So I had I asked him one time, and he's like, Yeah. We did, but it was a tire situation. And and that was really, I didn't come from two laps down. I lost a lap and then went on to lap the field. So he made up two laps. Uh, he made up two laps, but he actually did lose a lap during a, a tire change. And, and so I'd always heard this story. And, and, and of course, back then his crew chief was Randall Chuck. So I, uh, I, you know, and Randall Chubb, obviously a well-known guy, sh- shot guru now and setup guy and a, a well-accomplished racer. But back then he was a crew chief working for, for uh, really working for Bob Miller. And at that time he was helping Ronnie Johnson. So I send, I send uh, Randall a, a text and I'm like, hey, cl- clear this up for me. Did you guys really come from, from two laps down? You know what? What's the story over there? And so, so here's the here's the details. He's they're at Ocala for a, a 1993 Have a Tampa race. They start on the front row alongside uh, Buck Simmons, who I think was in the uh, the Barry Wright house car at the time. And Ronnie just takes off and, and and is leading the race. So he clearly had a good car to begin with. It's not like he was had a bad car and and like say. Todd's story with Shannon and had to kind of figure out how to get to the front. He had a really good car and he, he takes off and he's leading the race and he's pretty, pretty comfortable. And uh, so Randall says that they had never been there before and it's a hundred lap race and they had no idea what the tire wear would be. And so earlier heat races, concies and stuff like that, tire wear wasn't a problem, but he said, as he stood there and watched the race develop, the, the track just started to change drastically. And he's like, man, this we we're going to have to do something. And so he ran back. He was signaling for, for Ronnie. He gave up his signaling duties and runs back to the truck and trailer where they have, you know, eight or 10 different compounds of tires back then. It's 1993. But he said he had nothing mounted that he wanted to put on the car. So he gets his crew guys to start mounting four tires that he wants to put on the car. He wants to change tires. He's expecting this change. So he gets the tires changed and he, he gets, gets his crew set up changing those tires and he runs back over to where he's signaling and Ronnie's still on the lead. So it's all good. So he signaled, they had a caution come out and he signaled to Ronnie during that caution, like around lap 20 or something like that, 2025 come into pit. Well, he's, he's leading the race. And he said, Ronnie had enough, faith in him as a crew chief that he came in he came in to pit they changed all four tires during which he said you know bob miller practically fired him because he's like what are you doing you know giving up the lead in this have a tampa race so he basically got a pink slip while he's trying to get this done you know and so they changed all four tires well it was a really quick caution when he gets back to the gate the gates closed and they they've taken off they won't let him out there so they, he loses a lap while they, after they go by and they let him out. So he's a lap down. Well, at that point, 
Randall is basically saying we've got them covered because no one else had on tires like they did. As the track progressed and continued to change, they got faster and faster and faster and just started picking off cars. Next thing you know, they get their lead back. They get their lap back. You know, next thing you know, some other guys have tire problems or whatever. They, they continue to pass cars. They lap the whole field and go on to win this race after, after basically losing a lap down there. And, uh, you know, Cal, I'm not sure what it was like in 93, but I know now it's a little quirky. I'm not sure about the shape and stuff, but that's, that's a pretty, I'd always heard that story. And, and so I went to the two people who I know were there and that's Ronnie Johnson. I asked him about it, you know, several years ago and, and then to kind of tell me about it. And, and Ronnie was, Ronnie was basically kind of like, it was not a big deal to Ronnie. It was really weird. He was kind of proud of the moment, but it's just, ah, it's just not a big deal to Ronnie, you know, and, and Todd can attest to this. Ronnie doesn't forget anything. You know, Ronnie really knows details about everything pretty much. And, and so when I asked him about it, he was like, yeah, it was a 93 and a half and a half a race. No cow. I mean, he just starts spilling. I mean, Ronnie knew, you know, but then as far as the actual details, I want to know why, you know, what was going on. So I, sent uh randall chuff a text and he cleared it up for him and, and he did say he got his job back before they left the, the pits that day yeah he he was rehired quite quite quickly there by bob miller uh but uh but anyway that's that was you know as far as hearing stories i'd always heard that and and that is incredible to think that you know think about hudson hudson's lap he Per the rules, yes, he got it back and he earned it or whatever, but Hudson's lap was given back to him. Hudson didn't make up a lap on the track. He made it up via a rule, a rule right. which yep. everybody's playing by. You know, everybody has access to the same rule. So, but Hudson didn't track everybody back down and pass everybody. And then, so that kind of was a, a, it was a great rally. I'm not, I don't even want to call it, me personally, and I have, I, I love the rule. Don't get me wrong. I like the rule because I can go on about the rule and what it, what it, how it, how it benefits the positives of drivers, not by winning, but just the benefits of the rule. But, and I don't want to take anything away from Hudson, but it was a rally, not, eh, not a comeback. It wasn't a comeback for the ages to me personally. I, so I would kind of maybe disagree with you a little bit on that, Joshua, because he got the, he took, he took what he had. He took the benefit of the rule that they gave him, but man, RJ wasn't no rule. You know, he just stormed back through the field, not once, but twice. And uh, so that's pretty, pretty impressive feat right there. Yeah, I agree with you that if, if that did happen the way that you described it, and it's been been a while and, you know, some stories tend to grow, but if that's the way it happened for him to come back like that, um, you know, I, I would say that's pretty impressive as far as a performance, uh, based on performance, that might be the, the well, you know, possibly the best one ever, maybe, you know, different, uh, the immediacy of uh, O'Neill's comeback and, the, the you know, stage that the sport's on now and everyone witnessing it might made it made it more you know, mean more now, but, uh, you know, still both. The, two, the story two hasn't changed. The story hasn't changed <laughs> okay. in a decade. I mean, you know, they're sticking to their guns, whatever that, you know, because I've asked Randall more than once, but I personally couldn't remember, you know, and then when yeah. he was telling me the story again, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the way he told it the first time. So, so everything that they've, uh, they're, they're sticking to their guns. That's the way it happened. <laughs> Well, an impressive performance uh, for sure there uh, by another old school driver. We're talking about old school drivers there, uh, Ronnie Johnson. So, um, uh, yeah, good good throwbacks there, I would say, some of the memories you guys are sharing. That's uh, something different this week. Uh, that's what we'll, uh, we'll kind of roll into our conclusion here by talking a little bit about the upcoming week. Um, do have, like I said, a lot of racing, a triple header on tap for the Lucas Oil Series. And it was supposed to be two races uh, coming up um, uh, for the – uh, Castrol Flow Racing Tour, unfortunately, uh, I believe Thursday's race at Tri-County Racetrack um, had, was canceled because of the, uh, was, uh, was it the weather, I think. It was poor forecast, um, but still a lot of racing going on. Um, so I would think a good way to kind of lead into the weekend is just want to go around and just, you know, share a couple, a storyline or two that you're following uh, going into the weekend. Other stuff going on as well. Fairberry's racing. Um, uh, West Virginia Motor Speedway's got a big weekend. 
Uh, just some, maybe something from the uh, Lucas Oil race, uh, races that you guys are going to be watching, and then one thing elsewhere as well. And, uh, Kevin, I'll, I'll go with you first. What's a couple things you're going to be watching uh, this upcoming weekend? Well, yeah, does, does Brandon Overton just keep – they're coming into his territory now. I mean, they're, they're Smoky Mountain and – and uh, Dixie and Rome, I mean, that, that's that's his kind of his backyard almost, you know, especially the Georgia tracks. And, man, does he just keep rolling? Does he get over 30 wins now this week and uh, push his win total of that up, up to, you know, over 30? And, again, close. I mean, it's it's the cool – it's the it's the little chase thing. We need to get a little ticker going. How many more – how much more money does he need to get to $1 million in earnings for a single season, which is going to be pretty impressive. So that's going to de- definitely be what I'm watching uh, over the weekend. Uh, uh, with with the Lucas Oil races, and uh, there is well, uh, kind of interested to see how what kind of what kind of field they get at West Virginia Motor Speedway for this five thousand fifteen thousand uh, dollar weekend uh, uh, that they're that they're having there. It, it's you know, I mean, they, they've it's been tough getting cars. There's no doubt about it. They've been having no problem getting fans there this year, but they got to get some cars and. And we'll see. I know uh, Ashton Winger, he's supposed to be going up there because he's going to be making his debut this weekend at Smoky Mountain uh, in the, the Broadnax Shaker, G.R. Smith uh, uh, combination car there. Like a GR has uh, kind of stepped out uh, of the uh, as primary driver of the car that he he fields now with uh, J.C. Clary, uh, fellow North Carolinian and. Now he wants to put – they're putting uh, Ashton Winger in there. We'll see how Ashton gets started. And he's supposed to be heading over to West Virginia on Saturday for the for the finale, which, you know, uh, G.R. Smith has ties to West Virginia. He went to college at uh, you know, West Virginia University. So he's a mountaineer. And he's a, from New Jersey, went to college in West Virginia and lives in North Carolina now. So he's going to kind of go back to uh, – back home, uh, his, his college home for the weekend. Yeah, definitely a couple a couple things there to keep an eye on. I was actually kind of stole mine. I was going to mention Winger uh, after his performance there in his family-owned uh, car uh, at Sonoya, seeing how as he transitions um, to uh, his new ride there uh, with G.R. Smith and those guys. Um, be interesting to watch to see how uh, he fares. And it'd be interesting to see that's kind of, uh, you know, he's starting out with Lucas Oil Race at Smoky Mountain and then heading over to West Virginia Motor Speedway. So uh, kind of connect the two, uh, the two races differently there. Um, you know, where most of those guys will be heading south for, for Dixie and Rome from Smoky Mountain. But uh, one of the things I'll mention, I'll be watching is uh, Devin Moran, uh, I believe, planning on heading to West Virginia Motor Speedway, and he's been obviously really good there this year. Um, had a couple of, uh, 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 in, in, in the state of West Virginia, also at Beckley and West Virginia Motor Speedway, he's been fast and then had a couple of things not go his way and then bounce back to win one. So uh, if he can get an easy, I didn't realize this, I was looking, I don't think he's won since late August. So he's been still been running well, but doesn't have a win to show for it. Uh, in a little over a month, so it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, get the, get a win there where he's a track he's really good at. Uh, what about you, uh, Todd? What do you got that you'll be uh, watching this weekend? Well, uh, Richmond Raceway in Kentucky, their Butterball Wolf Ridge Memorial got postponed from its usual kind of a mid-season schedule. Um, um, some of the staff members had COVID there, so they pushed it here to October, which actually may benefit them. They may draw a better field for that race provided they get some good weather and such. Uh, and then one under the radar race a little bit, that Southern Ontario Mo- Ontario Motor Speedway up in Merlin, Ontario, has a $7,777 to win race. Um, now, I'm not sure that that's a race that that track has kind of gone through an ownership change the last couple of years, and this, this late season race hasn't been held. It, it was previously a race a lot of uh, the U.S.-based drivers would go to. Brian Ruhlman, Eric Spangler, I think those guys have both won that at that track previously. Uh, I'm not sure with the border situation if it's that easy and 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 guys are going to be interested in going across during COVID. I know up there in was in the Wasota country that has hampered some of the the tracks up there to depend on drivers that can cross the border. So um, if if a lot of U.S. guys can't go, it could be a big uh, big payday for one of those Canadian guys who. Uh, don't often get to race for a lot of money. And that'll be the biggest, uh, I guess, the richest super late model race in Canada this year. And under the radar race over the border. See what I did there? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the preposition uh, race. And, yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Robert, what do you have that you'll be watching this weekend? Well, you know, I, I just wanted to point out that this is another one of those weekends where there's a lot of money on, on the line there. 
are five races this weekend that pay at least $15,000 to win. You know, it's, there's a lot of money out there and, uh, and you know, guys can spread out, go to different places. And, and I'm not, this time it used to be a time of year when, you know, you knew where a lot of guys were going to be, uh, just because there were one or two big races, you know, this, this, this time of year. So you could count on like kind of what you discussed last week about all the guys being at one place. And now you just can't count on that. So, uh, definitely curious to see how, how this money is going to be spread out amongst these drivers. But, uh, as far as, you know, kind of away from all that big money, all those five figure paydays, uh, Jackson has their annual, uh, uh the big race pays 6,000 to win down there. It's a comp cams race. And, uh, so I'll be kind of, you know, keep my eye on that. Uh, something here in the South to, to kind of watch see if if those guys uh how many uh that pulls is that's a, a pretty decent racetrack down there as well so interested in that race i think that race is not sure if that race is going to be on flow or not i can't remember i think it is but i'm not sure but uh if it is check it out if it's not check out something else that's on flow i suppose a nice promo there robert <laughs> but um one last thing to do before we uh call it a podcast so we'll do our one more thing the week where we uh, mentioned one thing that stood out to us from the previous week uh, be it a result um, a news item whatever it may be uh, and I'll go back to Kevin to start that off this week I'm gonna go over to Sycamore Speedway in Illinois uh, from Friday night uh, the MLRA race uh, there was supposed to be a double header uh, but they saw rain was coming on Saturday a big chance of rain so they made the 7,000 win Saturday race they moved it to Friday which was that's pretty cool what the with the promoters there did to like make sure that the, the, the teams were able to run for the bigger money of the weekend. And, and that race was won by Garrett Alberson in the Ro- uh, Roberts motorsports car, uh, which was a uh, pretty, pretty neat there. I mean, he's one, he also won a big race with them earlier this year at LaSalle. And it looks like Alberson will, will likely be the, the main driver of the car. He's been teammates with Jeremiah Hurst, who's uh, left the team now after five years. So next year it could be uh, Garrett. I mean, this is like, that'll be his really his big shot. I mean, there they did have two cars at, at that race and McKay winger did drive a, a second car, but that's not supposed to be a regular thing or anything. So, uh, Garrett will get his, uh, he remember he was a few years. He didn't, he stayed away from racing. Mostly he didn't do much of his own racing because he, uh, he ran, uh, for, uh, he was a crew chief for the Black Diamond House Car team with Earl Pearson Jr. and and now he decided last year to to take this take this uh, chance with Roberts Motorsports and now he could be the primary driver and I mean uh, he could even start the year off in in January by going home to La, his hometown of Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, which is the home of the Wild West Shootout now, which by the way is now three hundred thousand dollars for the sweep. Did you? Let me just we'll throw that in there too. Yeah, right. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Did I steal something from somebody? But anyway, <laughs> zip my lip there. But just just had just hit my uh, hit my head when I was talking about Garrett Alverson. But I will I will Kevin's, pass along uh... now. Yeah, Kevin's taking uh, all the, the news and notes here. He's supposed to let us all get something. Todd, did you want to elaborate on that? It looked like you were, uh, um, you were planning on mentioning the the. the yeah, I might. And I'll explain to Kevin what one more thing means. One. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, popped that, in my head, you know. Wild West Shootout, which has moved to Vado, New Mexico. Uh, yeah, they got a new sponsor for their big bonus that pays uh, three hundred thousand now for uh, somebody that can sweep uh, all six races, which makes it three hundred and fifty-six thousand if you do that, because uh, count the purse money and the points fund money. Plus, they do a hundred thousand to win if you win five races, twenty-five thousand to win if you if you win four, which uh, will draw some bonus chasing drivers out there for sure. So. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'll try to think of something I, that Robert might be saying, and I'll go ahead and say it. No, I'll, I'll let Robert have it. <laughs> One thing I'll, I'll add real quick is uh, if you haven't saw the, the, the video that Ben Shelton, uh, ben Shelton went out to, to New Mexico and did some some videos, some content from there, um, the uh, tour of the track out there is uh, quite impressive. I didn't realize just how nice of a facility and just how uh, you know pristine that place is. So it'll be interesting to see um, you know with the Wild West shootout moving there. Uh, I think it'll be a, a good home for it uh, come January. Uh, Robert, what do you got for one more thing? Just basically something that stood out to me from this past weekend. It was kind of business as usual for guys who've dominated in certain areas of the sport where where they're at. Uh, Brandon Overton wins two more races, basically sweeping 
not a series or whatever, but hit the weekend for him. Matt Henderson, uh, his his win streak on the the Crate Racing USA Tour reached four. He eventually was outran there at Talladega Short Track. Josh Rice wins two races. He sweeps the the weekend there at Florence. Wins, I think, eight thousand dollars in that deal. Place where he's dominated all season long. And then uh, Max Blair uh, wins another ULMS race. Well, actually, two because he swept the weekend there at McKean uh, McKean County. Uh, up there in Pennsylvania. So if you look at last weekend as a whole, there were some a few surprise winners. Uh, uh, Kyle Van Sickle, you know, winning that Ralph Allen showdown down there in Waycross. But it, it was just, a, you know, business as usual for these guys who've dominated the season. And that's just uh, uh, it's kind of one of those impressive things that we've seen this year. Guys get hot. They've stayed hot. And uh, I don't know if it's going to change this coming weekend. I really think we're going to have to sit down and have a talk about what one more thing means because, Robert, you just took about five race results. So, but it's okay. I had something else in mind for uh, my one more thing. That, that, um, that was one thing. Oh, hold up. That was one thing. Yeah. They were but you all took related. Five different winners. It was, it I, I, see, one, I see how you connected them. I, I, I'll, it, well, I'll I, can't, I can't help that I'm magically able to connect dots and put things together while I sat over here for 40 minutes while you guys gabbed and gabbed and gabbed. And then who's the one person who gets accosted because he says a few extra minutes here? I mean, are you kidding? No, that's, I that's ludicrous. I mean, all right. Geez, oh, Louise. <laughs> for my one more thing, and I only just mentioned one is uh, the Scott Bloomquist and, and Cody Summer parting ways. Um, Cody Summer had, had uh, I guess, bought into Scott Bloomquist Racing uh, a little bit there, and after, uh, I believe, a, a three-year run, um, they're going to part ways. And I just, I, I'm interested to see, you know, and it's kind of old news now, it was last week, but I'm just interested to see what, how that plays out for Scott and where he goes from here. So um, be interesting to keep an eye on what he kind of, what direction he goes with his program, if he focuses more on building chassis and trying to rebuild uh, his his chassis business, or if he's you know from what I understand, probably more focused on trying to get back to a higher level of competitiveness in his own racing is what his uh, what sounds like maybe his goal is. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out for him as he's back kind of doing his own thing there. So, uh, but yeah, that's gonna do it for uh, this week's edition of the podcast. We appreciate everyone tuning in, and uh, we'll be back again to do it next week. Y'all have a great weekend.